Good morning. Wasn't that amazing? Um, we all want to welcome Soa Mensa um, to our congregation this morning. He's um, leading our drum circle and our choir in some amazing pieces, and we're so grateful that he joined us today. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wausau. My name is Cheryl Hemp, and I am a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. And I had a couple of announcements to make, and you can also find them in the yellow insert in your bulletin. UU Wausau is hosting a Red Cross blood drive on Wednesday, June 15th from 10 to 3. We need volunteers from the congregation to check in donors and help ensure that this event goes smoothly. Please check your inbox for information on how to sign up to volunteer or to register to donate blood. And on June 1st, um, we have our once-a-month Sunday potluck, and it's obviously quickly approaching, and we still need hosts for that event. So if you could reach out to Donica, if you can host, that would be great. And with that, I would ask everyone in a COVID-friendly way to stand and greet one another, whether it's a head nod, um, an elbow bump, or a hug if you feel comfortable. So everyone can rise to greet one another. And now, if you could join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting as in your order of worship, you'll find the, the words printed there. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now if everyone would rise as you are able, and we'll sing our gathering hymn, number 346, Come Sing a Song with Me, number 346.
standing and join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You'll find the words printed in your order of worship. Affirmation. Affirmation. (laughs) Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. Our doxology. a guest reader for our Time for All Ages. Rowan? Good morning. My name is Rowan, and I am a member of the Pride Planning Team at UU Wassa. This morning, I wanted to share a story with you in honor of Pride. It is My Shadow is Pink. It is written and illustrated by Scott Stewart and published by Larkin House. My dad has a shadow that's blue as can be, and there's nothing but blue in my whole family tree. 
but mine is quite different. It's not what you think, for mine is not blue. My shadow is pink. My shadow loves ponies and books and pink toys, princesses and fairies and things not for boys. But there's one thing it likes the most I have found. It loves wearing dresses and dancing around. It spins and it sparkles and it twirls through the air and then stops as my dad walks in with a glare. It'll turn blue one of these days. Don't worry, he says. It's just a phase. Dad's shadow is blue. It's big and it's strong. But when I stand with it, I just feel so wrong. I wish mine was blue like all the others. I wish mine was blue like my dad's and my brother's. I'd be part of the group of that, there's no doubt. But I cannot fit in when my shadow stands out. Now things are all changing, and that is not cool. I am getting ready from my start of the first day of school. You'll need pencils and books and lunch you must bring. Dress up with your shadow in its favorite thing. My heart skips a beat as I put on a dress and I look at my dad who's anxious and stressed. He takes me to class and I turn to say bye. His face is all worried. There's fear in his eyes. So I step in the doorway and I puff out my chest. One thing is clear. I am not like the rest. I try to say hi, but my voice is too quiet. The kids turn around and the room goes silent. I run out the door and I push past my dad. I run to my house feeling angry and sad. If my shadow is blue, I'd be there making friends. I'd be laughing and playing and drawing with pens. I rip off my dress and throw it down to the floor. I won't wear it again. Not ever. No more. Just then at the door, at my, at, just then at my door came a soft little knock. It's my dad walking in, and I look up in shock. Both he and his shadow, in the dresses they stood, with shimmering seams and pink sparkling hoods. He steps, he speaks in a voice that's quite soft, but it's stern. Pick up that dress. You must listen and learn. Your shadow is pink. I see now it's true. It's not just a shadow. It's your innermost you. He shows me the photos of parents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and others. We've all had shadows that have, yeah. we all have had shadows that hidden from eyes. Some are sometimes our shadows. It lives in disguise. His shadow loves painting and fashion and art. Her shadow loves engines and powerful cars. His shadow loves dance and it turns and it twirls. Her shadow, she hides it. Her shadow likes girls. His shadow loves theater and acting and plays. Her shadow loves science and planets and space. Your shadow is you and pink it will be. So stand up with your shadow and yell, this is me. And some they will love you and some they will not. But those who do love you, they'll love you a lot. So put on that dress and get back to school. If someone won't like you, then they are the fool. My heart literally bursts into my shadow. It soared. I picked up the dress and wore it once more. We ran out the door, this time holding hands. And my dad and, shadows, my dad and our shadows, together we stand. I stride in my class and I puff up my chest. I may be different, but different is best. I join a small group, though in it I don't blend. They look a bit smile. Will you be our friend? And that was our story for today. The story was dedicated to the author's child with the note, for Colin, you are loved exactly as you are. And Anne has an announcement about how we can show, help show that love. Good morning, I'm Ann Jefferson. 
And I'm here to remind everybody of our Wassa Pride event, Saturday, June 4th, from 11 to 3, and where our church will have a booth. Can everyone hear me okay? Because I'm a little, yeah? Okay. And to me, the Wassa Pride event is about this, when I was thinking about it. It's about our UU first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. It's all about food trucks, which is good, and art, music, information, and there's even a movie, an outdoor movie, that I think it's one o'clock. And we have some, oh, face painting, I forgot. Uh, we have, anyway, we have a sign-up sheet for everybody here. There, we still have some slots open to help at the booth. And you can help with face painting, which is super easy. I have a sample here and here. And all you do is use a brush and these paints. And if you'd like to try it out after the service, I'll be outside, maybe with Rowan. I'll be out there, and you can try it out. And we also need people to just greet people and welcome them to do a message on our message board, any kind of message of love and inclusivity in our community. And also, if you're just a friendly face, stop by there and hang out. That's really important, too. And, yeah, I think that's it. I hope we all show up for the fourth and show everyone the spirit and love of our, our community. Thanks. Thank you, Rowan and Anne. I invite you now to bless our children off to the RE groups with May Peace Surround You. The words are printed in your order of worship. Offering to sustain and strengthen this place, which is sacred to so many of us, a community of memory and of hope, for we are now the keepers of the dream. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket at the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in on your way out. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support.
I'd like to invite all of you now to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. I want to encourage you to start by putting both of your feet flat and firm on the ground. If you're comfortable, and if it is your custom to close your eyes, close them now. Start from the top of your head. Become aware of the heat, perhaps the air stirring in the room. As you move down, relax your jaw and your tongue. And as you breathe deeply and breathe out into your stomach, let your shoulders relax. And let us pray. Spirit of hope and healing, life of promise and blessing, God of all who yearn for wholeness. Our hearts are troubled by a world that is broken and in pain. When the morning news is filled with stories of war and violence, of terrorists and tyrants, of corruptions and graft, of racism and harassment, of lives destroyed by hatred and oppression, we pray that you will remember your people and wipe away every tear. When our loved ones fall ill, when our bodies fail us, when wildfires rage in the mountains or in our hearts, when the pain of the world is too much for us to bear, we cry out for comfort and for peace. Holy God of the lost and the least, spirit of all compassion of love and peace, in our words that are spoken aloud and in the wordless silence in our hearts. We bring our prayers for others and for ourselves. Now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our hearts, and let us meditate on them in silence together now.
Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 123, Spirit of Life. as my sermon text this morning, the poem entitled Falling, or Failing and Flying by Jack Gilbert. And the poet writes, Everyone forgets that Icarus also flew. It's the same when love comes to an end, or the marriage fails and people say they knew it was a mistake, that everybody said it would never work, that she was old enough to know better, that anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Like being there by that summer ocean on the other side of the island while love was fading out of her, the stars burning so extravagantly those nights that anyone could tell you they would never last. Every morning she was asleep in my bed like a visitation, the gentleness in her like an antelope standing in the dawn mist. Each afternoon, I watched her coming back through the hot, stony field after swimming 
the sea light behind her, and the huge sky on the other side of that. Listen to her while we ate lunch. How can they say that the marriage failed? Like the people who came back from Provence, when it was Provence, and said it was pretty, but the food was greasy. I believe Icarus was not falling as he fell, but just coming to the end of his triumph. Therein ends her reading. I would like you to join in this song, uh, CCC. And uh, so I'm going to teach you the opening line. Uh, the words you'll be singing don't mean anything, so don't worry about it. <laughs> if you butcher it, it's okay. Um, so repeat after me C, C, C. C, da, da, ko. Ta ta bongo, bongo, That's it. We we'll do it one more time. After me, si si si, si da da ko, ta ta bongo. Bonkuto prekon. Let's do it together. Ready? Si, 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 si dadako. Si da Tata ta bongo. Bonkuto prekon. Last time. Si, 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 si dadako. Si da Tata ta bongo. Ta bonkuto prekon. All right, so anytime they get to CCC, please join.
Thank you, choir. As always, you are a Sunday unto yourself, and so uh, welcome uh, to the first UU Wausau. It's my pleasure to have you here, and welcome to some guests. I don't recognize some faces in the audience. That's fine. I have a nickname for people who show up on Easter and Christmas. I refer to you as Creasters. Um, I'll have to think of a new nickname for those of you who have shown up just for today. Sowers, maybe, in honor of Soa, who's been here this morning. Anyways, now for something completely different, a sermon. It's all right, it's only 11 pages. We'll get out by 1 o'clock, so. So it is that time of year again. It is graduation season. Are there any graduates here in the audience today? A bunch of losers, I guess. Well, anyways. It is graduation season, nevertheless. That rite of passage when impressionable young people just hours before an evening of absolute debauchery pretend to listen to someone who talks for 20 minutes. I don't know about you guys, but I actually like commencement speeches because occasionally, very occasionally that is, you'll catch an amazing commencement speech. Like David Foster Wallace's that he gave all those years ago at Kenyon that I'm sure you've heard at least portions of. Or Zadie Smith's that she gave uh, five or ten years ago at the New School was just a triumph. But last week, I tuned in to NYU's commencement as T. Swizzle herself, Taylor Swift. Any Swifties in the audience? We've got some Swifties in the audience. All right. Taylor Swift gave what turned out to be an amazing commencement speech that exposed the myth of the self-made man or the self-made woman. She quotes, she says, not a single one of us here today has done it alone. That's what she said to the audience. You're here because, I love this line, you are here because someone else did their best with you. Isn't that a lovely thought? She went on to discuss the grace of failure, saying, quote, my experience has been that my mistakes led to the best things in my life. The times when I was told no or wasn't included the times when I wasn't chosen, the times I didn't win, the times I didn't make the cut. I'm trying to tell you that losing things doesn't mean just losing. A lot of the time, when we lose things, we gain things too. So Swift understands what the child psychologist Madeline Levine in her wonderful new book, Ready or Not, which she suggests that frustration and failure are sometimes life's greatest teachers. Now, I stumbled on a beautiful expression of this idea in an animated kid's movies called Soul. Have you all ever seen this movie? It's on Disney+. Plus. I just watched it the other day while I was writing this sermon, actually. So anyways, so, so for those of you who haven't seen this movie, I'll set it up for you. So it's about this jazz pianist named Joe Gardner. Joe has yearned for ages to make it big. So he's so focused on his dream that he literally tunes just about everything and everyone out. He's had this dream of making it big as a jazz pianist ever since he was just a little bitty boy, and so he's hustled for all of his life like mad to break into the scene, but nothing ever sticks. But to make ends meet, he turns to teachings, because when you can do, I won't finish it, but you know how it goes, so he turns to teaching music at a grade school. And so his classroom has a couple of kids who enjoy music, but most of the kids are in there. Why? because they have to be in there. And so he's teaching a classroom of mostly bored kids who sleep through lessons. There's one kid, if you notice, who's drinking like a soda through his French horn or whatever. 
So it's during Joe's quite humdrum life that he gets the call of a lifetime. A friend says, you won't believe that a piano player called out sick, come down and audition for one of the greatest jazz saxophonists of the age. And so Joe's ecstatic, and at the tryout, he is absolutely amazing. He gets the gig on the spot, and he does what we would all do. He runs out of the club, and he calls his mom on the phone. And he is so caught up in this conversation, telling his mom, finally, he's got all this success, and he's walking down the busy New York streets, and he walks right past this hazard tape, and he falls directly into an exposed sewer, uh, sewer hole and plunges to his death in a river of human feces. The worst possible way I could ever imagine dying. So anyways, he ends up in Pixar's version of heaven, which by my lights would be hell. I do not want to go to Pixar heaven if there is one. But in any case, he sets out on this wonderful adventure to get back in his body in time to play this dream show. So just put yourself in his shoes for a minute. After a lifetime of tryouts, disappointments, almost after recitals and thankless students, after falling to his death, his soul returns to his body in time to play the gig, and it is amazing. It's a total triumph. He gets a standing ovation at the end of it, and everyone rushes up. They can't wait to tell him, Joe, you are amazing. You finally arrived. So the show's overnight, has now fallen, and he's standing outside the club talking with this legendary jazz musician who finally gave him his big break. And she looks over and notices that Joe actually looks kind of sad. And she says, Joe, what's wrong? And Joe says, quote, I've been waiting on this day my entire life. And I thought it'd be different. He's disappointed. So even after his big break, after applause and cheers, Joe realizes that his same old life, his life with frustration, with bad news, with dentist appointments and bills, it's all still there. What's worse He realizes that following his dreams like he did came at a cost. It came at a cost because he took his relationships for granted and overlooked just about every one of life's simple pleasures. So has this ever happened to any of you? Have you ever dreamed of something, coveted something, worked your tail off for something, and once you finally get there, you've climbed the mountaintop, you survey what's all around you, And it's not quite like you thought it was going to be. I've had this feeling. I remember having this feeling for the first time when I was just a boy. So growing up, I don't want to paint the picture that I lived in abject poverty. I didn't. I had a very secure childhood, but nobody would mistake the Masons as a rich family. I grew up always wanting name brand shoes and clothes like I saw other kids wearing. I wanted to vacation like their families vacationed. I wanted to get dropped off in something other than my mom's white minivan, something like a nice SUV I saw the other kids get dropped off in. But mostly, this is the truth, but mostly what I always wanted as a kid was I wanted to go out and eat dinner, not in my dining room. I always wanted to go out to dinner because when you watch TV and you see commercials for restaurants, everybody looks like they are having the absolute time of their life. And so I thought if you wanted happiness in life, you had to go to a restaurant. But you see, I didn't think you could go to just any old restaurant and get happiness. I thought you had to go to the absolute best restaurant on planet Earth, Fazoli's. 
That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Fazoli's was my wildest dream. I would dream of these smiling servers who would walk by me and they would go, Brian, breadsticks, and they would just throw them all over my table. On my plate would, of course, be Leonardo da Vinci's absolute masterpiece, Fazoli's totally authentic Italian food like their meatball da Vinci. Yes, that is their number one dish, the meatball da Vinci. So I remember walking into Fazoli's for the first time, and I was thinking, this is surely what the cafeteria in heaven is going to look like. It looks like the inside of a Fazoli's. But I walked in for the first time, and I looked around, and not one person inside the restaurant was smiling. Not even the people eating were smiling as they were eating this food. But I was confused, but I said, I'm just going to press on. I'm going to go, I'm going to order my food. And so I got my food. I went back to the table. I said grace, as I always did, and I took my first bite. And it was the worst food I've ever had in my entire life. I would actually say that was worse than the morning that my cousins told me that Santa wasn't real on Christmas Day 1991. The list of things that don't live up to our expectations is probably endless. It's not that things that disappoint us are worthless after we get a sour taste of frustration. Unless it's something truly devastating, frustration often means we end up eating a healthy serving of humble pie. Our expectations, like the pianist in soul, after these experiences, they just sort of come back down to earth. Whenever I meet with couples who are planning to get married, I tell them that marriage can be an amazing journey, one that I recommend wholeheartedly. I tell them that you get to watch another person grow. You get to revel in someone else's success. You get to laugh with someone. But along the way, invariably, what's going to happen? You will likely discover something about them that will trouble you, or you will see them react in a way that actually hurts you. At some point in every relationship, and often more than once, you'll have to accept that life and the people living it are complicated, they're frustrating, and sometimes they can even be heartbreaking. So there's this wonderful saying by the great theologian of the church, Lisa Simpson. This is what she says. She says that in moments like this, we're all just Christopher Columbus's, who discovers something millions of people did before you. What she's telling you is that it's life, in other words. All of us, even Taylor Swift, discover that the view from the top isn't always what it's cracked up to be. We struggle to get to the top only to see a future that we cannot enter, or worse, to see a future that was never there the whole time. So one of my favorite people in the Bible is Moses. Now Moses is so cool, everybody wants to claim him. Jews claim him, Christians claim him, Islam claims him, and half a dozen other world religions claim Moses. He lives this amazing life that spans the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. I want you to consider his life for just a few moments. So as a baby, his mother, to spare him from death, she is forced to send him sailing down the Nile in a wicker basket with a free baby sign taped to it. (laughs) He's scooped up by someone doing their laundry, and he is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up living totally undercover. As a young man, he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew, And he becomes so disgusted in his heart after witnessing years of oppression that he kills that slave master. 
And when he does that, he ignites the greatest liberation journey ever told. Now, even though Moses, as the Bible tells us, is disabled and has a debilitating stutter, God says, I'm going to give you a superpower. And so he parts the Red Sea into Midian and leads the Israelites into freedom. He talks to angels. He climbs Mount Sinai for the Ten Commandments only to have his people turn on him. And his brother and his absolute closest friends, they do what? They betray him. But later he comes down and he musters up the courage. He regathers his people. He reconciles with his brother and wanders with them in the desert for 40 years. And finally, after all of that, He's on the top of a mountain, and he can literally see the promised land that he's been looking for for 40 years. And what happens? Falls over dead. Almost as bad as Fazoli's. But anyways, I'm going to move on. (laughs) A different but similar take on this I found in Florence in the Machine's new album, Dance Fever, which you should all rush home and listen to this afternoon. But on that album, there's a song called Morning Elvis. So this song is a gut-wrenching review of Florence's drinking days, when one day whenever she was on tour, she woke up so severely hungover that she missed a flight to Memphis with her band. And so in the song, she sings these words, the bathroom towels were cool against my head. I pressed my forehead to the floor, and I prayed for a trapdoor. I've been here many times before, but I'll never make it to Graceland. In the song, she wrestles with superstar success, balanced against brokenness and addiction, and comes to realize that a key to her salvation rests in a willingness to get well enough so that she can commune again with people. So very briefly, I want to return to that psychologist I mentioned at the top of this, Madeline Levine. So Madeline Levine, she tells her patients that life isn't lived along a straight line. Rather, our lives, in her mind, they unfold along a line that she describes as squiggly. In her latest book, she investigates why today's children and youth are reporting anxiety and depression in record-setting numbers. Among the possible causes, society tells them that failure is not an option, that these kids have to change the world. Schools tell them that anything less than perfection is failure. Pop culture tells them that if they don't look like millionaire celebrities, they're ugly. So after 40 years as a practicing psychologist, as a mother, and now a grandmother, her lesson is this, quote, If you never take the risk of failing at something, you really don't end up knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. Now, she's not saying that we need to set kids up for failure. What she's saying is that we need to teach kids how to pay attention to failure. Because if we don't, we won't discover our strengths and weaknesses. And we often end up overlooking what truly matters when all we're focused on is not failing. It was the singer Florence's willingness to confront her frustration and failure that helped her see that she was ruining her life and needed to change. It was Moses' willingness to stumble and fall, his ability to tolerate frustration that allowed him to lead others to the promised land. It was Joe Gardner's frustration with success that showed him that achieving your dreams isn't worth it if in the process you forsake love and fellowship. It was my frustration with the taste of humble pie 
that helped me see what a blessing my family's never-ending effort in homemaking really was. St. Paul tried to convey this to the first churches a long time ago when he said, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Paul is trying to tell the church, he's trying to tell us that part of the work of being human is paying attention when life is difficult. Because God, because love, because the spirit of life is always speaking. Sure, life will have a few mountaintop moments and there is absolutely nothing wrong with striving for big things. But failure and frustration are some of life's best teachers. I think this is probably why Martin Luther said to his congregation once that when you sin, sin boldly. Our attention to life's lows, to ours and to others, acknowledges the complexity of human life and it makes room for God's grace. This morning, I'm going to let Taylor Swift have the last word. We are led by our gut instincts, by our intuition, by our desires and fears, our scars and our dreams. And you will screw it up sometimes. So will I. Anyway, hard things will happen to us. But we will recover. We will learn from it. We will grow more resilient because of it. Frustration is inevitable. So fail boldly. Just pay attention while you're doing it. Amen. I invite you to rise in spirit or body and join me in singing our closing hymn in the Teal Book, number 1064, Blue Boat Home.
invite you, if you came here with someone this morning, to take their hand. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, and enjoy this music.
Mom.